The following presentation is a Barrett Sports Media production. Recognizing the unsung heroes of sports media. I'm stuck in this pit, working for less than slave wages, working on my day off. This is the Producers Podcast with Brady Farkas. I'm the executive producer. Oh, you're the executive producer. And it starts now. Today, we talked to Rob Brenton of 610 out there in Kansas City. Is it really as easy as I think it is to produce in KC? We'll find out why I think that, and Rob will answer it. We'll also find out right off the top what he was doing before he became a producer. Yeah, it was a college job, but I still thought it was pretty interesting and pretty clever. And is Kansas City really as interested in soccer as Fox's World Cup coverage makes it out to be? Enjoy Rob Brenton of 610 in Kansas City. Rob, before we really get into the teeth of this, I got to say I enjoyed researching you in advance of this interview, going through your LinkedIn page and seeing that the last thing on there, I guess the first thing on there is sandwich artist. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, so, you know, in college, you know, they tell, that's when LinkedIn, I would say, was super hot, I guess, for lack of a better term. <laughs> they did, they told you things in college, hey, stand out in some way, in some capacity on your resume, on your LinkedIn, you know, be different, be noticeable. So in high school, I had a job at a, a local sub chain here, Mr. Goodsense. And, you know, I just, you know, worked the line and did basic high school stuff. But I was like, how do I make that look different? How do I make that stand out look fun? So called myself a sandwich artist. And, you know, I thought it was fun and different. If I'm ever in, uh, well, wh- where, wh- where is this establishment? So I was in, it's a can, it's, it's in a couple different cities. I know there's a ton in Kansas City. It's called Mr. Goodsense. The one I worked at was kind of down the block from my high school, and I worked there from when I was 16 to 18 or 19. So, you know, if you go into like a Mike's or a place like that, it's very similar. You walk in and you say like, I want, you know, lettuce and tomato on my sandwich, and that was my job. So <laughs> instead of being, you know, grunt worker or putting that on my resume, I put sandwich artist. <laughs> so how do we go from sandwich artist to afternoon drive in Kansas City producing? What's the path? So the path is very, I mean, I've always loved sports. I had a passion for sports. Growing up in Kansas City, it was everything in my life. And, you know, I, I knew at a young age I wanted to work in sports in some capacity. I, I didn't know what the capacity was. I know I wanted to work in sports. That's what I really, really wanted. So in college, I was trying to figure out how do I how to make that a thing because, you know, there are different paths, different avenues. I have a close friend who was a manager of the soccer team at KU when we were there and I know that didn't seem like the path for me, and I just kind of meandered around until I found a passion and energy for sports talk radio and sports opinion making, and it led to an internship out of college, and that led to a part-time nights and weekends board hopping job, and you just kind of keep working your way up the chain. You do that, and you get an opportunity to bump up to a you know a midday board op, and you do that, and you keep kind of grinding and working through, but I knew when I was doing those part-time nights and weekends jobs in sports talk radio, this this is what I want to do and just keep working and keep, you know, trying your hardest. And when opportunities present itself, you get a little bit of luck and that leads you to afternoon drive. I think this is episode 25 of the producers podcast and come on, admit it. You've got the easiest job of any of the previous 24, because I can picture your rundown is just Patrick Mahomes appreciation in segment one, Patrick Mahomes appreciation in segment two. (laughs) I mean, there's, there are some days where it's definitely easier than others, but I think that's everyone because, I mean, there are days where Patrick Mahomes does incredible things and the Chiefs win a big game and you just walk in and you're like, all right, how do we package ooh and ah for four hours? I mean, that's, 
that's the whole gig. But there are some times when the Chiefs went ugly, and you got to say things like, hey, Mahomes didn't play well, and you become public number mm. enemy number one in Kansas City because you didn't, you know, grovel at his feet for a minute. So it's still easy because Mahomes <laughs> is going to do about three things a game where you go, okay, let's talk about those three things. But sometimes you become the public enemy when you don't just rain compliments down on his head. You know, I'm a soccer fan once every – Two years, I guess. Women's World Cup, Men's World Cup. Women's World Cup, Men's World Cup. Apparently, Kansas City is the soccer universe, uh, uh, the mecca of the soccer universe here in the U.S. Is that true? Yeah, so they call themselves the soccer capital of the United States. And it started as like a little kitschy name because they had a very popular MLS club. They built a new stadium. They were selling out matches. And they, you know, you know similar to how people call themselves title town, they tagged themselves the soccer capital of America. But as time goes on more and more, you see it in these watch parties. You see it in other little things at the national level. And yeah, Kansas City has become the soccer capital of America. If you're watching the Fox broadcast of any of the World Cup matches, which you said you're a soccer fan every two years, so you probably were, you saw that Power and Light, which is an outdoor bar area, had full watch parties in November and December to watch the World Cup. People out there in 21-degree weather it's packed to the gills. So, yeah, soccer has become part of the zeitgeist in St. Kansas City more than most sports talk city, sports talk cities, and they absolutely love it here, and there's a passion that's really unbridled. Does it resonate at all on the radio? Do you guys talk about MLS soccer? Are you broadcasting live at this, at this bar district? Does it resonate at all on anything that you guys do? So it, it does and it doesn't. I would say World Cup, but that takes over for everyone during the four-year cycle. I would say even during the NFL, you can't go wrong talking, hey, the men's national team did X, Y, or Z because they're polarizing. We do probably more MLS than most cities, but we don't do it in a traditional manner. We don't do, hey, they lost last night. What does it mean here at the standings? You know, grind on it the same way you would an NFL game or a college football game or college basketball game. We kind of package it in a fun manner. We have people on the show who are on the team. We have you know personalities around the team on, and we let them shine as people, which is something that both us and the local MLS club love. Let's let's show that the players are not just players who are detached from the city. They're actually people. They like you know music. They like going to bars. They like hanging out and doing separate stuff. So we do a lot of that kind of thing with the players. I wouldn't say it's deep nerd core MLS, but there's that kind of thing on the show. And then I have a separate podcast, which does get a little more nerdcore <laughs> soccer MLS, but that's that's for the hardcores. I would say a podcast on our network about soccer is not sought out by Joe fans. We had on a producer from St. Louis maybe a month and a half ago or two months ago, and St. Louis is is well regarded as a great baseball town, and he told me we could talk for four hours about the Cardinals' bullpen and people would eat it up. What's baseball talk like in Kansas City? It's not bad. That's it. Baseball talk in Kansas City is it. We always joke on the show it's cyclical because outside of a little three-year blip, the Royals have kind of always been the same Royals my entire life. It's everyone loves them. They're hot. Here we go. It's March. It's April. It's opening day. Baseball. Spring has sprung. The whole deal. And then they're usually mediocre out off the start. But then in May or late May, early June, they'll have a little hot move. They'll have a little hot blip and you're like okay now you do a little more may not bullpen talk but okay hey so and so is playing really well this year what does it mean for his future you do a little bit of that and then by june july they fade away so it really with the emergence of patrick mahomes 
becomes a football town in like June. And you do Royals, but you do Royals on a national storyline level. Like last year we had the GM was relieved of his duties. We did a lot of that on the day it happened. But in the lead up to that, there wasn't, hey, the Royals lost last night. What does it mean? It was training camp is 33 days away. How excited are you for the backup tight end battle? Because, you know, really covering and grinding through a team that's going to finish with 85 to 100 losses most seasons doesn't move the needle for people. So we don't we don't really grind too hard on the Royals day to day. Now, there was an outlier, 2014-2015. They went to back-to-back World Series. That's We were more St. Louis-ish, Louis-ish then, excuse me, where we could do, can you believe Ned Yost do so-and-so in the eighth? Like, because it was the hottest thing in town. Generally speaking, it's not the hottest thing in town. You know, I, I do sports radio in Vermont, right? So we're all on the New England teams. And with four professional sports teams, we just bounce, you know, from season to season to season, and the conversation always keeps going. In a city like Kansas City, where there's two of the four major sports teams, how exactly does the content break down in the off seasons? So Kansas City is unique in the fact that it's a big town with two major sports teams, but it's also very college-centric. There are three very passionate college fan bases here, Kansas, Missouri, and Kansas State. So for the offseason, you can kind of intertwine some college athletics, and none of the fan bases are going to be upset about it. Now, inherently, how all fan bases are, you talked about K-State more than KU last week. How could you do that to us? And and vice versa, and it goes and it's kind of ever going like that. But, you know, football is Kind of not a thing in February, March, but we crank into college basketball mode because usually one of the two teams on the bubble and KU, which is a blue blood, is usually pushing toward a one seed or some sort of Big 12 title push. So you can do a lot of college basketball. Then in March, obviously it's March Madness centric. And then April, May, you can do a little bit of season recap in college basketball. And by then you have your NFL free agency, which you then bounce back to pro football. Then you kind of hit your Royals and and you're in your July, August doldrums with the Royals, you have bounce back to Chiefs because you have training camp. And you also have those college football teams starting to get back up and doing fall practice, which means that hope springs eternal. And no matter how good or bad your college team was last year, you're a college fan. You're going to listen and be like, oh, man, they think my 7-5 and five team last year is going to be 9-3 and three this year. I'm fired up. So you can kind of lean into that. So while we only have two sports teams, we can popcorn back and forth between those. We do get the benefit of three college teams, and there's three passionate fan bases, which makes it a little more like five. It's not quite probably the same interest as New England area with the Celtics and four pro teams and so on, but with three passionate college fan bases, you do get the popcorn a little more than that. What's the conversation like surrounding conference realignment in the future of the Big 12 when you talk about your teams, two of the three of the college teams you just mentioned being Big 12 members? That was... That story about Oklahoma-Texas broke in June, and we joked on the air that it was couldn't we couldn't have timed it better because the Royals were going into a skid. <laughs> and re, realignment is one of those things where obviously there are reports and obviously there are facts, and you, you follow the facts and the reporting, but there is so much speculation and so much hearsay and so much just here's my opinion that it does ignite all three fan bases. So when the Big 12 lost Texas and Oklahoma, we talked about, how this is exactly what Missouri did. They jumped to the SEC, and it fired up KU and K-State fans, and Missouri fans were a bunch of, yeah, I told you so. And then as the story grew that maybe KU would jump to another conference, you kind of circled back and through a different lens. We're like, well, this makes sense. The Big 12 is withering. Well, KU will do this. And it fires up the other two fan bases. So 
conference realignment is a very passionate people have very strong opinions about it so when it comes up and it comes up about once a year nowadays we hit it and we hit it hard for two three days and then we move on but it's a fun two or three days because it's hearsay you know so and so on twitter who has a blue check is saying this okay what does that mean here's our opinions and you can see in real time based on the text line or callers people get upset about your opinions which is what makes sports track radio fun What's your advice to new or young producers out there? I always tell interns and young producers that I meet, really do well with the little things. Grind through and do the little things perfect. Everyone who starts a producer eventually wants to end up as a host. I think even people who like producer jobs think one day, I could be a host. But I think people skip the steps. This job, being a producer is like, for a college basketball now, you got to be a glue guy. You got to come in, you got to get on the floor, you got to do the dirty work. You got to play defense. You got to do all the little things well. And then you have a chance to score a few buckets, but you're not the star player. I think too often young producers think, okay, there's a mic in front of me. In college, I cracked the mic. I'm coming in hot with my takes. That's not what your role is. Your role is to come in, make new liners, hit the sounders just right, make sure this show is sounding bigger, get those cuts lined up and perfect, have drops ready. If you do those things really well, you'll build the trust of your host. If your trust, your host trusts you, then you do have the little more freedom to crack the mic and go. But too often, I think producers think to themselves, okay, I'm going to turn my mic on. I'm going to give my take. I'm going to interrupt my host to give my take. And next thing you know, I'm Dan Patrick. That's, that's not the path. Do the little things well. Yeah, I thought Rob was great. And it's a refrain that we have heard throughout a lot of these producers' podcasts. You can't just try to take over the show as a producer. Even if your ultimate goal is to be the host, you cannot just take over the microphone. You have to earn the trust of your host, and with that will come opportunity. Thought Rob was great. Otherwise, apparently Kansas City is that interested in soccer, and it actually resonates a bit on the air, too. I thought that was pretty interesting. And I'm rooting for the Royals to have a bounce-back season in 2023 because they deserve a little more airtime in the uh, world of Patrick Mahomes. That was Rob Brenton. We'll see you next time, everybody, on the Barrett Sports Media Producers Podcast. You don't want to believe it, but maybe the show is over. Thank you for listening to the Producers Podcast. To enjoy past and future episodes, check out iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, the iHeart app, and BarrettSportsMedia.com. 